Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Glenn Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. Last Sunday, after our service, we had a uh, staff, church staff and elders uh, swim party slash uh, meeting together uh, at the home of Dan and Mari Cornelius. Dan and Mari, you're right there. Wave your hand if you wave your hands. Thank you for opening your home to us, your beautiful home. Amen. Praise God. I hope we didn't tear it up. No, we didn't. Come back. Yay. We had pizza and barbecue. Um, I don't know if anything was organic or free range in that meal, but we did. It was good. After we had pizza and barbecue, uh, gathered us all together, and I and I basically asked our staff and elders one question based on a quote by a man named Michael Hyatt, who's written a number of books on uh, leadership and purpose. Baylor graduate, but I digress. Since I went to Baylor, for those who don't know, he was a Baylor graduate. But he said this phrase, we lose, you lose your way when you lose your why. You lose your way when you lose your why. And so I asked them a, a simple question. What is our why as a, a local church? What is our why? I think it's a true statement. It's actually rooted in Scripture. We'll look at a Scripture in a moment. But it's good for us now and then to ask why we got into a certain thing, why we committed ourselves to a thing. It's good in in marriage. Sadly, when one, when the husband or the wife or both lose their why, they forget why they got married in the first place, their marriage can lose its way. In ministry, when a pastor or a missionary loses their why, when they, they forget that time when they said yes into being called in the ministry of that, the why starts to fade, then they start to lose their way in ministry. They start to lose the zeal that they once had. And uh, it's, I don't want to bring you down today, but I looked up one thing this morning, Barna Research, and I don't know if this was taken before COVID or after, but 29%, sadly, 29% of pastors have admitted to giving serious consideration to quitting. And I don't know, like I said, when that was. I don't want to say any more statistics about all that, but it's a true uh, principle. It's good to go back and look and ask ourselves why. I remember back very first the genesis of my calling in ministry uh, was in 1977, and I was a Baylor student, and uh, I was uh, teaching a sixth-grade boys' Sunday school class. And I remember that the opening assembly, it was a Baptist church there in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It was summertime there, and I was, I was seeing this um, sixth-grade boy kind of not listening, looking out the window. He had kind of a runny nose, and he's going, you know, like that, going, and I was like, and then all of a sudden, you ever have this where you like zoom in on something, you get a burden from the Lord, and felt like the Lord kind of froze me in my steps and said, you see that, you see that young man, 
I said, yes, Lord. He said, everything in his life is pointing him the wrong direction. And it's like I saw these billboards, you know, saying, turn left, turn left. And then, you know, not an open vision, but I was gripped. And it was like everything in his life from that, from his, that time of his life going forward was trying to point him to, a, to turn left, which to the left was a cliff. And he was going to go over the cliff. And then the thought came in my mind. I'm not saying, you know, thundering. But the thought came, if you can give your life to pointing people the right way to me, then your life will be worth something. Now, that was 44 years ago. And I remember that regularly. And that is still why. I think back, that is what I've given my life to, to pointing people the right way to the one, the only one who can transform them and give them full and true meaning, not just now in time, but in eternity. So I asked our leaders, why do we exist as a local church? What is our why? Because if we can't answer our why, we probably shouldn't be here. I mean, kind of tough on that, but let's, let's be honest. If we can't answer why we exist as a church, we probably should go join a church that knows why they exist, that knows why they're here. And so I, I just want to give a disclaimer on this. I didn't ask the staff and elders because, you know, we had lost our way. You know, there was, we hadn't deviated from our vision. But seriously, I just I wanted to hear what was on their heart. And I wanted to learn from them. I'm so thankful I learn from the staff and the elders, elders' wives. It's, it's beautiful. So I really did. I was looking forward to what were their answers going to be. I said, don't regurgitate our vision on our website. Just what comes up in your heart. Tell me what, you, tell me what is our why. And um, they gave me, they, they said, they shared eight Main, main reasons, at least eight that I'm going to share today, and we're going to look at that. Um, so I do believe that uh, besides asking them that because I wanted to learn from them, I think another thing that's it's, it's in your notes, I believe, too, is one of the most challenging things about being a Christian is to stay fiery for God. Is that Nick Saban said this when Alabama won yesterday? Anybody Alabama fans? Nate's in the other room. Uh, we have Florida anyway. Nick Saban said, you know, he, he's not going to say, hey, we were awesome. We need to not improve at all, right? They did win the game, but he said this. He said, uh, we need to work on maintaining our intensity for the entire game. And I thought that's a word for the Christian life. We, knowing our why as, as Christians helps us to maintain our intensity in the Christian life. And so that's a lot of why I felt the Lord leading me to look at this today. What is our why as a local church? Um, because I think it's, it's going to help us, all of us, as we go forward. And then I realized, honestly, I didn't plan it ahead. I realized, oh, Today's the Volunteer Recruitment Sunday, and uh, so I think it's a good idea for you to know why we're asking you to serve in a capacity, what you're getting into. So um, 
What is our why as a local church? I believe, Roman numeral two here, I believe God gives every life-giving Christian church um, certain main ministry assignments. They're like assignments from God for every local church. One's like to win souls. That's in Proverbs 11, verse 30. Then it's to, the other is the Great Commission to uh, disciple the nations, to, to train people, to train new believers to become disciples. The word nations there, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, is the, the Greek word ethnos, which means uh, ethnic groups. To, to train and disciple believers. Those are genuine, genuine main assignments every church has. But I believe God gives individual churches specific assignments so that we're not trying to compete with that other assignments of that other church, but we run our race. We do what he's assigned us as a church to, to, to do and to be. And together, the, this region, Kyle was telling me this week, Latest demographics. In, in this Lake Travis region, there's 55,000 people. Well, 55,000 people, when each church is running the race, fulfilling their ministry assignments, that our community, our region, gets to see a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. So we want other churches to be successful, to be on fire. That's why we have a prayer. We want to pray for them. You see, so, so yeah, amen. We are, we are a servant to the other churches as well because we want it, someone said this one time, we want it hard to be hard for people to go to hell from Lake Travis. <laughs> we want to make it hard. It's too easy right now. There's way more banks on Highway 620 than there are churches. All right, well, we could go there. We could digress. So they shared eight reasons why we're here. I'm going to go, go through these. Some will take a little longer than others. won't be too long, though. The first one, and it's first not just in the number numerically here, but it's first in priority. Someone shared to be, what is our why? It's to be a resting place for the presence of God. To be a place River in the Hills Church that goes from visitation of God's presence to a habitation of God's presence. Where it's just not every now and then God shows up, but God shows up all the time, every time we meet. And I believe, thank, thank the Lord, that is happening. Um, it's where whenever we meet, there seems to be something supernatural going on. Either presence to heal or hope or strength or uh, uh, love is released. Hopefully you've, you've encountered and experienced some of the supernatural presence of God today. So that's, that's, um, that's big. It's to be a resting place for the presence of God. A habitation is where God's presence abides. It's where people can come, not just at, at the meetings we have, but we have a sign out there that says prayer room open to the public. You know, we've had that out there for 16 years because we want people to be able to come, have the doors of the church open during the week so that God's just not visiting now and then, but there's a habitation where they can come and they're desperate 
Maybe they're, hopefully, there many are coming in desperate for more of God, more truth, and they can come into this prayer room. Or maybe they're desperate, have a desperate situation. I can tell you so many times people have come in desperate with a need, or they need food, or they need healing, or they need deliverance. Whatever it is, that's we, our why, number one, is to be a resting place for the presence of God. Psalm 132 verse 5 describes this longing in King David's heart to provide a dwelling place for the presence of God. He Look at the priority. I will give no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Now, I want to back up a little and tell you how this verse kind of came up in our meeting last Sunday afternoon. I mean, it came up because I asked the question, what's our why? But it was about, I don't know, 1.30 last Sunday. I'm driving to the swim party to the Cornelius' home, and, and uh, someone sent me their, their street address. And I was, uh, and it was, I'm not going to say the name of the street or where or what, but I'll give you the number. The street address number was 13205. Is that right? Okay, good. 13205. And I was kind of feeling a little flow from the church service last week. And I was like, you know, I'm driving. And I thought, I wonder if there's a verse in the Bible that's kind of related to their home. Lord, could it be, you know, so hopefully it was at a stoplight or wherever. <laughs> but because I had my Google Maps in my phone, it's 13205, blah, blah, blah. I look it up, and I, I thought Psalm 132, verse 5. Uh, yeah, I have 4 and 5 there, but Psalm 132, verse 5. And I was, you know, as I'm gonna looking it up in my, my Bible app, I'm like, oh, no, I hope it's not a bad verse, you know, I hope it's... I'm not even going to joke with that, you know, <laughs> like, or I, I might have just really missed it, you know, but I thought, I think whatever that Psalm 132.5, as I'm looking it up, I'm thinking, that might be something to do with, you know, God, Dan and Maurice didn't, God just didn't have them at that house by accident, that maybe there's something to do with what God's calling or declaring over their home, like an individual thing. And so when I saw this, it, it went off in me. Yeah, and so I'll say it publicly. I believe, Dan and Mari, that God's opened your home, given you that home to be a place where God's presence dwells, where people can come and rest, where they can. And then the other verse I had, I shared that with them in our meeting last week, was to, to, he wants to give people beauty for ashes, so I just declare that over their home. Can we just stop for a second and just pray over their home right now? Father, I thank you for how much you see the details of all of our lives. And you see that, that they're the, they're, it's not an accident that you put them there. And I thank you, Lord, for increasing abiding presence in their home. Lord, make people come in that have ashes burned out things may they find the beauty of the lord in jesus name amen amen thanks for letting me do that well it wasn't just a word for their home this was a word for this is one of the key verses of why river in the hills exists 
is to, to be a dwelling place for the Lord's presence. So it's a big part of our why. Now, two more leaders, numbers two and three in your notes there, they, they shared similar whys. And, that, and all three of them, this first verse here and then numbers two and three, they relate to the first words you see when you walk into River in the Hills, to, to our lobby. What are the first words you see? Move God's heart. And so that's what these are about. They're about the first commandment. It's why does River in the Hills exist? First, we exist to, put, to love God, to welcome his presence. And we believe when we, when we do that, he's moved by that. God is touched by that when we welcome his presence. So number two here, it, our why, is to be a family that sits at the feet of Jesus. Two things are put together there. River of the Hills is to be a family, not just a group of people that gather. A family that sits at the feet of Jesus. So let me break that down real quickly. We're, we're not just a gathering of Christians. We are called to be a family. Brothers and sisters. There's a verse, it's not in your notes. Ephesians 3.14 says, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. And so we can genuinely say, and we see it this way, you and I are brothers and sisters because we have the same Father. In heaven, when you have the same father, you're brother and sister, so that's great. You know, I mean, Carl, are you my brother? Right? Well, I really like your red truck. Your, uh, it's a classic. So, since we're brothers, can I just borrow your truck for? There you go. All right. See, I'm using the bully pulpit now. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, are you here? Kevin's got a, a red SS, right? Chevelle. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm getting you to commit publicly. You said. No, but, 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 we're, but that's what families, regardless of the kind of family you grew up in, I mean, some grew up in great families, some not so great. And this is what I'm sharing here is not ever meant to take away from our, our natural family. But the Bible says, Psalm 68, 6, that God takes the solitary and sets them in families. It is healthy. It is life-giving for, for us to feel and experience church like a home, like a family. And we hope, we hope that because God's, I believe, called us to be that, that you feel that, that you sense that, that we're, that we're a family together, that you're not just a name on a membership role. You're not you know, just a face in the crowd. So we're a family, this second point was that you were a family that sits at the feet of Jesus. There again is that first commandment, putting the first commandment in first place of uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and feet. This is Luke 10, 39. Mary, in the Bible, um, sat at the feet of Jesus. She sat at the feet of Jesus. It, it's the same idea as this, the first one, the first commandment. Christianity, please hear me here, Christianity, Christianity is primarily not about us. 
It's about him. It's about him. We believe when we put loving him first in our lives, then we get empowered. We're effective to then love other people right. I mean, that's a real secret. You're like, oh, man, my love's running out for people. Well, we put, we sit at the feet of Jesus, and then he empowers us. He fills us with love, his love for other people. It's really not complicated. There's no secret to it. It's taking time to sit at his feet. I would that every church in our city would put the first commandment in first place. And I believe most do. Most churches in our city put loving God first above other things. But as spiritual darkness has increased in our world, and it even bleeds into the church, many churchgoers are falling into deception. This is an hour when this is happening. Andrew Clavin, a, uh, a man, I, I, um, he's on the website Daily Wire. He's a Christian, but he makes political commentary and other things. He says this, uh, he has a national audience. I'm just going to, you know, this is a little strong, but I want to I share it because um, I have to kind of jolt us and say, you know, some churches are starting and some believers are starting to say, you know, I'm not going to put loving God first. It's not primarily about God. It's about us. And he says this on this national podcast. So, again, I'm not going to say the, the church. I don't know the name of the church in Austin, but he, he said that a leader of a liturgical church in Austin with leftist beliefs wrote an article in the New York Times And this is what they wrote. Each Sunday in my church in Austin, is that going to be able to come up? Okay. Each Sunday, it's in my church in Austin, Texas, the pastor leading the service takes his or her place in front of the congregation and begins by saying this opening acclamation. Usually it's this, Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This pastor writes, what has surprised me since I first attended the service over a decade ago is that we begin not with welcoming anyone in the pews, but with a direct announcement about God. It's a little jarring now that I'm a pastor. I mean, we made an effort to get to church. We woke up early on a weekend. We brushed our teeth. We wrestled our kids into car seats. We masked up and we found a place to sit. But the service doesn't start by acknowledging any of that. No thanking everyone for showing up. Not even a bland mention of the weather or how nice everyone looks this week. Instead, I stand up in front of everyone and proclaim the presence of an invisible God. This pastor was complaining about Welcoming God first. Now that is a deception. It's not about us primarily. It's about him. When, you, when, you, when it ceases to be about him, then you start to lose your way. That's our why, is making it about him. Then when we make it about him first, 
then we're empowered and energized with compassion and power to truly help people. But let's never get off, get side off of that. So number, and number three, one more related to putting God first. The third one is someone shared last Sunday that they remembered a prophetic man named Leon Cliff came to River in the Hills back in the early days. We were meeting in what they called the party barn over in Apache Shores. It, we had to stop meeting there because they had termite infestation. So then we went to the, we have all kinds of journeys. Then we went to the fire station. I'm preaching in the, in the Hudson Bend fire station. And all of a sudden this beep, beep. The fire station smoke alarm forgot to, they forgot to put a new battery in the smoke alarm in the fire station. And so, but that, those early days there, um, he came to our service and he, he prophetic man, he, very prophetic man, he said, I feel like, I believe the Lord has made a declaration over River in the Hills that you are to be a merry church. And he was referencing Mary of Bethany, who sat at Jesus' feet, who broke that alabaster box worth of, fra- of costly oil, fragrant oil, worth about a year's wages, which basically represented her entire inheritance. She broke it at Jesus' feet and poured it on his feet. And by that act of Mary of Bethany breaking that fragrant oil, what Mary was saying was you are worthy of it all. It cost all she had. So I am challenged and provoked by that. But here's what I love. If God's going to call us to be a merry church, then he's going to help us to be merry believers, to be that way, to pour out over him. Now, I know know this is kind of trying to be cute, but it came in my mind. So this is my phrase, if you hate it, whatever. Um, but a Mary, M-A-R-Y church will be a Mary, M-E-R-R-Y church. A Mary will be a Mary because when we get before him, he will release the garment of praise and that will drive out the spirit of heaviness. When we get before him, and buy oil and pour out our love on him, then the oil of joy will push out and take us through times of mourning. When we come before him and bring our lives before him, like Mary did, he will deliver us, he will release joy over our lives, and and we will be that, that victorious bride, the Superior pleasures. This is a big one. To be a merry church means we are tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Most people think of church as not being pleasureful. But at your right hand, David said, are pleasures forevermore. So the more we receive and encounter the superior pleasures of knowing him that pushes out that drowns out a thousand inferior pleasures that the world is offering us now some things the world offers are inferior they're pleasures they're legitimate but they're just inferior to knowing him 
And so that's what a merry church is about, is drinking of the superior pleasures of knowing him. All right, I spent a lot of time on those three. I'm going to zip, 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 zip here. Number four, to be a place, fourth why, to be a place where people can experience Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. It's talking about Jesus prophetically. It says, surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Hopefully those who received prayer today have gotten healed. Uh, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement or punishment for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. God has called us to be a house of power. To not just proclaim the good news, but demonstrate the good news. Let's keep reminding ourselves of our why so we don't lose our way. He's called us to expect. When you come here, I encourage you, expect to get healed. We believe Jesus still heals today. We believe the gifts of the Spirit have not ceased. And how many of you know they're needed more than ever? I'll just say this. I'm going to throw it out here. I scribbled it during worship today. Don't stay away from church because you're sick and you need healing. Come to church because you're sick and you need healing. I'll just let that lay out there, okay? Unless you know you're contagious, okay? Then we don't want to tempt God, but I'm serious. I've got some elders here looking at you. If you're sick and contagious in this, we'll come to your house and anoint you with oil. I mean, pray for me if that's wrong, but I'm, I'm kind of not afraid of that. Because I want to be a Isaiah 53, 4, and 5 church. I want to be a place where people, we're not just a house of praise, a house of purity, but we're, Lord, make us a house of power. Number five, number five, to be a church that disciples new believers and the de-churched. Pastor Nate shared that phrase. I said, Nate, Pastor Nate, what's a de-churched? Sounds like you, I don't know what it sounds like. But the de-churched were people who went to church but at some point had a bad experience and then they, they're coming back. Um, we, we want to be, I believe God's called us to be a place where, where you, can, you come in, you come into the kingdom, you come to Christ, and you might have had some new age background or occultic things, any number of kind of things. And, and we're not, you're not going to come in here and we're going to look down at you. And like, what are you doing? You know, we're going to be um, helping to, to disciple you. Um, and so that's, again, part of, part of what we, we want to be. We're not going to look down. We're, we're going to be a, a place where we take time with people with, with beliefs that are not biblical and help people through that. I love that. May, if, you know, if we're ever thinking we're superior, that's, that's dangerous ground. Number six, uh, worship team, you can come on up. To equip and mobilize the church to get involved in culture. We exist to equip and mobilize the church to get involved in our culture, not to shy away and be like ostriches, put our heads in the sand. 
we're called, we've had five weeks of Sunday school class called Faith and Culture. We're to be salt and light in the world. We're to add flavor to the world. Salt uh, slows down corruption. How many of you know are seeing corruption before our very eyes in our culture? So we're to be salt and light. I won't go through the verses because of the sake of time, but Matthew 5, 13 through 16 describes. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. You're the light of the world. Don't let your light grow dim. Pastor Nate wrote this. Um, I asked him to write up a few thoughts on this. Uh, I don't know if they're going to come up or not. Um, but did I put them in your notes? I think I did. Good, good, good. He said this. I think it is crucially important to equip the church to live powerfully in our constantly shifting culture. We have seen the need to not back down and cower back like many churches have chosen to do as to not offend anyone. In the last 18 months, one of our roles as River in the Hills has been to love well by talking about difficult things and teaching people how to talk about and respond to difficult things in our culture. People saved and unsaved are craving truth right now. They're craving truth and answers, and they are found in Jesus. Andrew Clavin shared this recently. I'm going to give you an example of it's time for the church to stand up in love, but in courage and call things out that need to be called out. He shared this. He lives in a city not in Austin, so it was some church that he was in, a pastor in a liturgical church, not Austin. On Good Friday, before Easter, the pastor stood up and said, Jesus died for the non-binary child who isn't able to use the bathroom he wants to use. He said, well... Jesus did die for that child, but not for the reason that pastor was describing. We exist. Why do we exist? We exist to walk in the truth as a church, to welcome the spirit of truth, to present the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. Nowhere in the gospel does it say that Jesus died so a child could declare he is non-binary and should be able to use the bathroom of his choice. By God's grace, may we never, never make up stuff that's not in the Bible. Stand up, if you would, to your feet. We're to be a Western Wall, seven. We're to be a Western Wall. We're going to actually do some of this here. We're the Western Wall, someone shared, like watchmen on the wall, praying for the city of Austin. If you're a watchman on the wall, you are praying for protection from the the spiritual darkness in our city. That's why we exist. Pray for protection and to welcome the Spirit of God, to awaken the city. It's like a military picture. Folks, we are a battalion 
We're an army. We're the army of the Lord. And we're called as watchmen on the wall to pray protection and to invite our city to become awakened. We just sang it today. I didn't know they were singing these songs today. I'd written this down before today. Come awaken this city. We're, we're to sing over this city. And we did it today. Come awaken this city. Come awaken your people. God of revival, pour it out. And I actually wrote this too. I am not lying. I'm not lying. This, I wrote this days ago. Fling wide, we're to pray and sing. Fling wide, you heavenly gates. Prepare the way of the risen Lord. Open up the doors and let the music play. Let the streets resound with singing. Songs that bring your hope. Songs that bring your joy. Dancers who dance upon injustice. I want us to take a moment and let's just do, let's just do what that point was. We have an eighth point. It's really good, but I think we're supposed to do this, okay? Let's, let's, let's just do this right now and declare over our city. We're going to open the altar. Before, as we do that, I want to open the altar for anyone who you just want to come and say, I want to come back to be like Mary. I want to come back and have a lifestyle of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I've kind of gotten away from that. Just come forward right now. Come and you can dance on injustice while you come forward. (laughs) Come forward and and say, I'm coming. I'm going to come back to that place of being a Mary. So while we're singing, the other verse, Joel 2.12, is return to the Lord. I believe God's stirring some of you even right now in this hour to return and go give all the way. Don't hold on to some sin. Say, well, I've given up a bunch of sin. That's okay. Give it all up. Lordship today. Come forward if you say, today I'm making Jesus Lord again. I'm giving all those things up. I'm going to say, Lord, I want nothing standing between me and you. So come forward. And let's worship. Let's declare over our city. Thank you, Lord. Prayer teams, anyone on the Sunday school who feels led to come up and help pray? But I just, I think right now, yeah, sorry for the confusion, but we're, we're going to sing. I'm opening the altar, and we'll take it from there. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.